You know the American immigration system is a joke. I know the system is a joke. We all know it's a joke. Not at the level of the border agents. The border agents do a great job and a dangerous job spotting and stopping the illegal aliens. They arrested more than 2 million of them last year. But then what? At the level of immigration policy enforcement, everyone knows it's a farce. And even I did not realize how much of a farce it is. If you are a known illegal alien in New York City, we've got you, we know you're in the country illegally. Do you know how long it will take to process you through the New York City Office of Immigration and Customs Enforcement? When I say process, I just mean have a meeting. Take a guess. What would you say? Would you say it will take a month? Seems like kind of a long time, maybe a month, maybe three months, six months, a year, nine years. Nine years. The New York City ICE office is fully booked through 2032, according to an official document obtained by the New York Post. If you get arrested right now from immigration enforcement in New York, there will be more than 39,200 illegal aliens who have to be processed before you even have to show up for a meeting. And it's not just New York. Jacksonville, Florida is booked solid through June of 2028. Miramar, Florida is booked through January of 2028. The United States, for all intents and purposes, does not enforce immigration law. We're able to round up horn-hatted selfie takers at the Capitol on January 6th. We can pull some high-tech James Bond moves to round those guys and their grannies up and throw them all in solitary. We're able to arrest and prosecute pro-life fathers of seven for demonstrating outside of abortion mills. We can do that in a jiffy, but we can't deport illegal aliens. We can't even meet with them for almost a decade. Now, we obviously could we could do it anytime we want. It's just that our government doesn't want to because our ruling class doesn't think of illegal immigration as a crime or a problem at all. On the contrary, our ruling class thinks of it as a solution. Lots of weird stuff going on with our elite. Right now, there was a video, I was making the rounds yesterday, of Drew Barrymore on her talk show getting down on her knees and paying a sort of obeisance, a religious veneration of Dylan Mulvaney, that transvestite who is everywhere all over TikTok. We'll get to that in, in just a little bit. First though, we, we need to restore balance to our country. You need to restore balance to your body. And that's why you've got to check out Balance of Nature. Right now, go to balanceofnature.com, use promo code Knowles. Living a healthy lifestyle is not always easy, especially when you are on the go as much as I am. I need simple, manageable routines to make sure that I'm getting the proper nutrition every day, which is why I'm such a huge fan of Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure that you are getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that you can take at any time. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in 16 whole fruits, and 15 whole vegetables, 
and encapsulates them for easy consumption. I like it when it's made easy. Balance of Nature sent a bunch of their products down to the studio for our team to try. And these absolute jackals, these animals, these hyenas just try to steal all of them, okay? So I have to make sure that I get there first so I can take them. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That is balanceofnature.com. Promo code Knowles for 35% off your first order. The lack of immigration enforcement is not a bug in our system. It is a feature of the system. There are many things that are ostensibly problems or challenges or accidents in our political order that are in fact quite intentional. A great example of this, Black Lives Matter. The Claremont Institute just did a study. This was the Claremont Center for the American Way of Life. Love the Claremont Institute, love the Claremont Review of Books. Claremont did a study of how much money BLM has raked in. Do you know how much money these guys have made? Just from corporations, I'm not talking about grassroots money, activists, fight the man on the street. No, from just regular establishment corporations, BLM has raised $82.9 billion, billion with a B. As a point of reference, says Claremont, $82.9 billion is more than the GDP of 46 African countries. That's how powerful BLM is. To put it in perspective, last year, the Ford Motor Company's profits were $23 billion. You could fit three, coming up on four Ford Motor Companies within the the accounting books for money that BLM has made just from corporations. And this number, $82.9 billion, this includes more than $123 million to BLM parent organizations directly, and obviously much, much more to the subsidiary BLM organizations, just from corporate America, which shows something that probably most of you understood from the beginning, but most Americans did not understand from the beginning, which is that BLM was never fighting the system. BLM is the system. (laughs) It was never in opposition. They pretended they were in opposition. We're going to fight the cops. We're going to burn down the courthouses. We're going to attack the economic system by looting a bunch of sneaker stores and jewelry stores. But then what would happen? The most powerful interests in the country would bail them out. The, The current vice president of the United States bailed these people out of jail, bailed the the criminals, the rioters out of jail. Staffers for Joe Biden bailed these people out of jail. The district attorneys just wouldn't prosecute a lot of them. Maybe a slap on the wrist, in many cases, just charges dismissed. Because BLM is serving a purpose in the political order. The, The government is still somewhat constrained by the Constitution to some degree, by the law to some degree, by optics to a larger degree, and by custom to some degree. So how does the government terrorize political dissidents? Well, the only way to do it is through its military wing. The only way to do it is through its terror wing. That would be BLM. But BLM is not opposing the interests of the establishment. 
If it were, that establishment wouldn't be giving them almost $83 billion. It's the same thing with big tech. The, the, the government is constrained from censoring its political dissidents outright in many cases. We have a First Amendment. The, the government doesn't want to go through the whole rigmarole of fighting out these cases in court. So what do they do? They outsource speech broadly to a handful of corporations in Silicon Valley. They work very closely with those corporations. The FBI has regular meetings with executives at those corporations, talks about which people the government doesn't really want to hear from, talks about which stories the government doesn't really want getting out, and then big tech does the censorship bidding for the government. So these platforms are not standing in opposition to the government, to the system. They're working in tandem. Obviously, same thing goes for the, the press. The press is not the brave fourth estate. We're the intrepid, courageous journalists speaking truth to power. They don't speak truth almost ever. <laughs> not when it counts, at least. We saw this just last week when there was a, a concerted effort by the press to li libel me, which they did. They eventually had to back down because we called it out and we mustered enough political pressure from the right-wing media, from right-wing politicians, from the right-wing grassroots that they had to back off a little bit. But that's what they do. They're not the intrepid fourth estate. They work on behalf of the system. There's another secret feature of this system. This story just came out. Most people have no idea even what this organization is. There's an organization called NewsGuard. I know about NewsGuard because I work in the news, and so I, I've got to be aware with them because NewsGuard controls a lot of the reach of media organizations around the country. How does it do that? NewsGuard is allegedly a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, just seeks to protect integrity in news and stop disinformation and whatever. What NewsGuard does is it will boost or degrade the rating of news organizations based on political preference. So conservative organizations will more frequently be downgraded and leftist organizations will more frequently be promoted. And then the social media networks will use NewsGuard's ratings to determine the reach of these organizations. Now, you might say, well, okay, NewsGuard's just a private organization. Maybe it's left-wing, but it's still a private organization. But it's not. It works with the government. A report just came out. NewsGuard was discovered to have received $750,000 in, in a grant from the Pentagon. That's just one grant. Who knows how many grants these guys have received? It's the Establishment News Rating Project that presents itself as impartial and just like the press, presents itself as the intrepid fourth estate standing at work. No, it's working with the government, just like all these guys are. This is how our government censors. We're really good at pointing out when Russia censors the free press. We say that autocrat Putin, he's censoring the press. That autocrat Xi Jinping, he's censoring the press. Thank goodness we have a free system here. This is a free country. Our government censors information too. Our government has a state press, too. Our government has a social credit score, too. It's barely even hidden. Oh, we're a system of law and order. We're a system of law and order. You can violate one of the most basic laws of this country, which is who gets to come in, who gets to participate in the society. You can violate that. You won't even have a meeting to be told that maybe you shouldn't have done that for almost 10 years. You're going to tell me we're a nation of law and order. No, there's obviously two tracks of justice here, and we are increasingly ruled by the caprices of our increasingly corrupt ruling class. Can we even be said to be a proper nation anymore? 
I'm not so sure about that. And, and I'm not so sure in part because I just listened to the Mexican leftist president, AMLO, AMLO, our, our neighbor to the south there, a warning, threatening Americans that if Republicans don't cut it out with the tough talk on Mexico, he's going to tell all of the Mexican nationals who are living in the United States and their descendants not to vote for Republicans. Here's what he said. I'll translate. Said, Starting today, we're going to initiate an information campaign aimed at Mexicans. Who live and work in the United States. All these Hispanics. To inform them about what we are doing in Mexico. And on how this initiative from the Republicans, besides being irresponsible, is an offense against the people of Mexico. A lack of respect for our independence, for our sovereignty. And if they do not change their attitude and think that they are going to use Mexico for their propagandist, electioneering, and dirty political purposes, we are going to call for them not to vote for that party. There's the key. There is the key. What is he talking about with the Republicans? The Republicans are saying we got to get tough on the cartels. We got to put troops on the border to stop the invasion of foreign nationals who are controlled by the cartels. That the, the government of Mexico is just not stable enough. They can, obviously can't govern their own affairs. So we're going to start taking care of, of our own issues on the border. And it's the Republicans who are talking about this much more than the Democrats are. And so AMLO says, oh yeah, well, if you keep it up, if you keep getting tough on us, we're going to tell all of those Mexicans in your country to vote for Democrats. First of all, a lot of Mexicans and a lot of Hispanics who cross through Mexico to get to the United States do vote for Democrats. There has been a movement away from Democrats among Hispanic voters. So maybe AMLO is getting a little big for his britches here. Maybe he's suggesting that he has more influence over Mexican voters in America than he actually does. That may well be the case. Regardless of whether it's true or not, though, the, the president of Mexico certainly thinks that the Mexicans who have immigrated to America consider themselves Mexicans more than Americans, which is always the fear with mass migration. It's nothing against Mexicans. It's nothing against Hispanic people broadly. This is true of everybody. If you have massive waves of migration into a new country and you don't have assimilation, and it all happens in a short period of time, you are going to have a much closer allegiance to the country and culture that you left. And especially in the United States, where Hispanics tend to, tend to settle in communities by themselves, are, they are not only permitted, but actually encouraged to continue speaking Spanish. Rather than being forced to learn English in schools, now we're forcing American school children to learn Spanish. or strongly encouraging them to do that or offering ESL classes. Now, now the Republicans are the ones offering a State of the Union response in Spanish. So you have essentially zero assimilation. You have zero border enforcement whatsoever. You're going to wait 10 years to get, to get an appointment at the ICE office. So how do you, how do you say that you've got a nation? If, if other world leaders are laughing at us to our faces and saying, ha, 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 you think you have a nation, I'm going to command my people who are in your country to vote for who I want them to vote for, then what that foreign leader is saying is, I've got control over your political order because you do not have a stable political order because you don't have a proper nation. 
AMLO isn't some Republican scaremonger saying that. He's the leftist president of Mexico. And he probably knows a thing or two about what he's talking about since he is one of the people behind the crisis at the border. Makes a really good conservative argument on borders and immigration. But our ruling class already knows that argument. They know the argument is true. They just like the consequences of the open borders. Speaking of elections and people with Hispanic last names, George Santos, the embattled Republican congressman, has just filed his re-election bid. Santos, you know, the, the congressmen have to run every two years. And so Santos says he is going to run for re-election. He's not going to step down, even in the wake of people finding out that he's lied about his uh, business, his education, possibly his sexual desires, his everything. He's lied about almost everything. He won't resign. Not only will he not resign, he's going to run again. I say, okay, okay. George Santos's district is the third congressional district in New York. It's a D plus two district. It's not that you couldn't swing it to a Republican, but it is a Democrat district. Santos is holding it as a Republican. If George Santos has committed any crimes, he should be prosecuted for those crimes. If you're saying that this is the worst guy in the world, he's committed fraud, he's a, a total huckster, he's, okay, prosecute him then. But if you're not going to prosecute him, if this is all just kind of talk and political attacks, I don't see any reason for Republicans to call on him to resign. I don't see any reason for Republicans to call on him not to run again. Is there another Republican in that district who could win a general election, who could beat Santos in a primary and then win in a general election that we could count on in a D plus two district? If there is, okay, fine. I don't have any particular affection for George Santos. I don't know the guy and he certainly seems kind of weird. But if not, if, if, if Santos not running for re-election means that a Democrat will take that seat and the razor-thin Republican majority in the House will be imperiled, yeah, of course, tell him to run again. Of course. Did the Democrats rally and say, Elizabeth Warren lied about a significant aspect of her identity for professional advancement in this really bizarre pathological way for her whole career and she needs to resign? No. There's, some of them are still holding out that because Elizabeth Warren might be one 1,024th Native American, possibly, that she didn't lie when she pretended to be an Indian for her whole career and, and published recipes in a cookbook called Pow Wow Chow. No, no, that's fine. Joe Biden, who has lied about everything. Joe Biden, who I don't think can tell the difference between truth and lies, who had to drop out of the 1988 presidential race because he lied so much. That guy gets to be the president of the United States. You don't see Democrats calling on him to resign. And so I'm not saying we give George Santos more power. I'm not saying we promote the guy. But can he hold a seat for us? Yeah, I bet he could. The stakes are very, very high here, okay? We're talking about not just who gets to hold one house of Congress. We're talking about what people are going to do with that political power. And the Democrats have abused their political power. To use just one example, they locked kids at home for absolutely no reason for the better part of three years. And even liberals are starting to see this. Sonny Hostin on The View, who is wrong about almost everything. Sonny Hostin just pointed out, you know, guys, should we, did we kind of, did we kind of harm the kids for a couple of years? Over this pandemic, which is, people say it's totally over, but there are like a thousand people dying from it still every day. Um, I'm a little nervous because 
Teens are in a lot of trouble. There's a mental health crisis. I've seen it in my children. They're in trouble now because they don't know how to speak to each other and they were, you know, out of school and they were home, homebound. Good. I'm glad. Better late than never. You're, you're starting to get that maybe when kids face statistically not a whole lot of health risk, pretty much like nothing, from this virus, and then you lock them out of school because the teacher unions want a paid vacation, and then you coop them up in their home, their development will be slowed, their education broadly will be slowed. Yeah, that's true. Their socialization will be slowed, their anxiety, their stress, even their suicidality will increase. Yeah, that's all true. Maybe that was a bad thing to do. There's this weird switch that has happened, which is for many, many years, the sign of a demagogue was the sort of person who would say, won't somebody please think of the children? You think of the church lady in The Simpsons. Won't somebody please think of the children? And that, that was a fairly reliable sign of a demagogue. However, that was back in a time when people thought of the children. That was back in a time when people really cared about the children, tried to do what was in their best interest, <laughs> tried to pursue the common good, didn't, didn't only pursue their own selfish interests. Now, nobody is thinking of the children. <laughs> now it's kind of flipped. <laughs> and the, the, when, when someone says, won't somebody please think of the children, they're expressing a legitimate concern. Think about what we're doing to children. We're locking them out of school. We're chopping flesh off of their forearms and on their legs to create fake genitals. We're castrating them at very, very young ages because we're indulging the delusion that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. And we're doing that to appease the sexual fetishes of very confused and disordered adults. We've redefined marriage so that now we are creating children for the express purpose of denying them their mother or their father all to appease the disordered and selfish desires of adults. We are really screwing over the kids. We, we really, really are. And this is a relatively new phenomenon. And it is no longer the sign of a demagogue to say, won't somebody please think of the children. The conservatives have said it recently. And now even liberals like Sonny Hostin on The View are saying, uh, hey, you know, maybe those conservatives have a point. <laughs> maybe, like, is anybody thinking of the children? Maybe we should. Maybe that would be a good idea. We got we to talk these things out. When you want to talk with your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, head on over to Pure Talk. Use promo code Knowles. Tax season is here. And our accountants swear that the best thing that we did in 2022 was switch to Pure Talk. Instead of paying a fortune to Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data starting at just 30 bucks a month, saving the average family over $900 a year. A lot of people think the bigger the provider, the better the service. Let me fill you in on a little secret. Here's a little secret. Pure Talk uses the same network for less, but it's the same exact network. There's no contract, no hidden fees, and no hassle. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Their US-based customer service team, that alone makes it worth the switch, makes that whole process really, really easy. Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love it, they give you a money-back guarantee, 100%. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, save 50% off your first month. puretalk.com, promo code Knowles. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. You know, my favorite comment yesterday was from Nicholas Polychronopoulos. What a great name. Says, speaking of close to sinful behaviors, what is the sick 
rationalization behind wearing your watch on your right wrist. It's true. I do wear my watch on my right wrist. I do it because I so admire Vladimir Putin, of course. No, no, I don't. Don't clip that out. It's a joke. Don't clip that out. Though I did notice one time he, he, he wears it on his uh, right wrist. I think he does that though because he's a lefty and I'm a lefty. And so I've, I wear my watch on my right wrist also since I, since I got married. Okay. I don't want to have multiple pieces of jewelry on one hand. That's, I know I'm Italian, but that seems a little bit too much. Okay. And, and to this point, I'm wearing my watch on my wrong wrist. I'm, I'm a lefty. Even I, I just want to take this opportunity to point out, I'm willing to tolerate eccentricity in society. Okay. I'm, I am very liberal minded. I'm very tolerant. I'm so pluralistic. Some people are calling me authoritarian and all these sorts of mean names over the past week because I think that we shouldn't be hacking off people's genitals. But no, I, I'm willing. I, I'm, I, in fact, I'm embodying some of the eccentricity and diversity in society. I just think that there's a line. <laughs> okay, so if you want to wear your watch on the wrong wrist, that's fine. If you want to hack off your genitals, that's not fine. We've got, there's got to be a line somewhere. Okay, and I'm, that's where I am drawing it. Speaking of that topic that everybody seems to be talking about all the time now. Did you see Drew Barrymore yesterday with Dylan Mulvaney? You probably did. This was on Drew Barrymore's show. Uh, Drew, who I generally like as a public figure. She seems very likable and charming and and delightful. Uh, She was interviewing Dylan Mulvaney, this transvestite man who performs this wild caricature of a woman and seems to have a lot of, a lot of problems. I did an, an in-depth sort of exploration of Dylan Mulvaney, which you can find over on my YouTube channel, uh, that went a little bit viral because I, I, I think a lot of Dylan Mulvaney's expression is not about biology and it's not about sex and gender identity. I think a lot of it is owing to the fact that he is an actor. People keep forgetting that he's playing a role. So Drew Barrymore is interviewing him, and it it got weird. Where do you find the strength to keep being the joy? Well, I think having my chosen family and the people that I love to take care of me. But I also think there's something just about uh, making sure that you're you don't put something out there before you're ready, and and really just surrounding yourself with good people. It's interesting because I look at someone like you and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh, please. Do you know, do you want to know, ironically, who uh, dislikes me the most sometimes? Who? Myself. Put a pause there. Put a pause there. So this is the moment that everyone's focusing on because Drew Barrymore gets down on her knees, almost like if you were religious, maybe you'd get down on your knees and pray before an icon or a statue you're, you're in an act of veneration. But, but before we get into all that weirdness, think about what Drew says. She goes, do you know who often hates me the most sometimes is myself. And it's a sort of a saccharine line. But I'm sure this is true of a lot of people. Everybody has self-doubts. Everybody has insecurities. Everybody kind of hates themselves sometimes. Especially, you think about you're a teenager, you're angsty, whatever period of life where you've had a little bit of angst or something. You have probably felt this way. So then what? Then what? We can't just leave it at that. 
you have to ask yourself, okay, if I hate myself, for what, what is causing that? Is it because I have been lied to? Is it because I have been abused? Is it because I am being treated unjustly? Well, if that's the case, then the way to fix it is to extricate yourself from that bad situation or from that bad relationship. Or do I have this feeling of hatred for myself because I'm doing something wrong? And so it's not that I'm hating myself. I just hate the wrong thing that I am doing. In the same way that you would say about someone else, love the sinner, hate the sin. You don't like the things, the bad things that people are doing. And so you want to stop people from doing those bad things. Well, that same rule can apply to yourself. Which is it? The, the, people want to just jump to, no, you got to love yourself. You got to affirm yourself, baby. You, you do it. You're a goddess. You're the greatest. You're the queen. Slay. Yeah. No. The first thing, if you have a feeling of self-hatred, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is, is this feeling just? Am I reacting against something that I really should hate? Maybe not myself, but something that I am doing. If so, fix the thing that you're doing. If it's because of a distorted perception of yourself because of external circumstances, get yourself out of those circumstances. If it's because of a distorted view of the whole world, well, fix your view of the world. It it reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote that I always go back to. If you look for truth, you might find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you'll find neither truth nor comfort, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. If you, that feeling is not going to go away. And it's so central to the, the transgender argument. They say, I feel uncomfortable with myself. I hate myself. I don't like the way I am. And so the way that I'm going to fix this is I'm going to chop up my body. And that's going to fix my feelings of anxiety and stress and suicidality. Except it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. This is why Paul McHugh, who pioneered the, the transgender transition surgery at Johns Hopkins, he opened the gender identity clinic, this is why he shut it down is because it didn't really improve outcomes. People were essentially the same in the long run as they were before the surgery. It's not that they were much worse off. It's not that there were huge rates of regret. They just, it just didn't really help anything. So he shut it down because the source of those problems is is from a, a, a conflict between one's delusions and reality or one's vice and reality or ways that we are not living in accord with right reason. You're not going to fix that by just brushing it over. That's the soft soap, and that's not going to lead you. The truth will set you free. The soft soap and the wishful thinking will ultimately just lead you to a kind of despair. Okay, keep going. Oh, and, but, I guess, you know, you've asked me now, like, you've asked me, like, what I would do to combat the hate, right? Yeah. But what do you do? Okay, that's a great question. Now, I started- You've been doing it a little longer than I have. <laughs> I love that line. You're a lot older than me, Drew Barrymore, you crazy old hag. All right, now tell me what you think. <laughs> no, that's not a nice thing to say to a lady, Dylan. And then they're both sitting down there, and it becomes very silly when they're both sitting down because he is much larger than she is because he's obviously a man and, and she's obviously a woman. And the whole thing is so performative. It's, it's something that normal people recoil from in this self-love therapeutic culture. Let's just talk it out. Let's just talk about our feelings and we're going to do trust falls and we're just going to start to love ourselves. You have to love yourself. You should love yourself. 
to a healthy degree. If you love yourself too much in an unhealthy way, that's called narcissism. If you don't love yourself sufficiently, then you're not going to be able to love your neighbor. You're not going to be able to love really at all. When when Christ says in the Gospels, love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, if you hate yourself, then you're going to hate your neighbor too, and society is not going to be very nice. So it is proper to love yourself in in an appropriate way. So what is that appropriate way? Where is that going to come from? Why would you love yourself? If you feel that you sin and you fall and you're broken as we all are, then why would you love yourself? Because you are made in the image and likeness of God, because you are higher than the other animals, because you possess a rational will, because you have will and intellect, because you can perceive objective reality, because you can reason about things, and you can reason about not just the things of this world, but even the higher things and the meaning behind those things. That's why. And if, if, as I often point out, all of these issues They always come back to theology. They always come back to religion because that has to be the fundamental thing. So you might say, well, I'm not very religious. Okay, then your theology is going to be kind of wonky. And all all the rest of your thinking, all the way down to politics, is going to be a little wonky too. I'm not saying you're completely helpless, but ultimately it's not going to make sense. And if you try to ground a love of self on just good feelings or unwillfulness, the same kind of sheer willfulness that that has Dylan Mulvaney insisting that he is a woman in the face of all evidence to the contrary. You're You're not going to persuade anyone because people are persuaded by reason and logic and truth. They're not persuaded by will. They they might they might submit, they might cower in fear, they might pretend to believe if if you insist with sufficient force of will but you're not really going to persuade everybody. The thing that persuades people is reason and logic and truth. And so that's why children need to be educated in the way to properly exercise their faculties of reason. And this is why Ron DeSantis in Florida is going in and telling weirdo teachers and weirdo teacher unions that they have to stop teaching gay porn in schools and they've got to start teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. And some teachers are very upset about this, such as one teacher who just went viral on TikTok out of Dunedin High School in Florida. Good evening. Thank you as always for your kindness and for insights. So which books do I remove from my Florida high school classroom? Because today after school, we had a faculty meeting and we learned that our media specialist has to inventory every single book in our classroom, whether it's a textbook, whether it's any other book we might have in a personal library for our student use, every single book. Because last year under House Bill 1467, Mm -hmm. it requires now that every single book in our classroom be inventoried by our media specialists to make sure that no titles contain pornography, that they contain any references to gender identity, to sexual (laughs) orientation. He's making this with a straight face. He's making this argument. He's saying, can you believe it? Now I've got to do my job and I've got to be transparent about what books I'm teaching to children in my classroom. And now because of this bill, I've got to go through all of these books that I've got. And so far, you might be sympathetic toward him. You say, oh, you're right. That's going to be a lot of work. But okay, yeah, maybe you have reason to complain. He says, and now they're telling me I can't even have pornography in my classroom. (laughs) Did you have pornography in your classroom? (laughs) Yeah. Well, now I definitely want you to go through all of your books. Because I thought, I thought he was going to say, and look, I've got all these normal books, but maybe there's one word here or one word there, and maybe it'll 
it'll rankle some of the conservatives in the Board of Education or something. No, he's just, he's calling it pornography. He's saying, yeah, I have to take all the porn out of my classroom now. Yeah, you do, bro. Probably you should be taken out of the classroom. If you think that it is right to have pornography in your classroom when you're teaching little kids. Keep going. And of course, to race-based teaching. Now let that sink in for a second, because now I have a choice to make. I have three eight-foot-tall bookshelves in my classroom with subjects ranging from world religions to general nonfiction. I have an entire section of African-American history. I have all of American history range from the beginning all the way to the present. I have a bookshelf of nothing but classics, mass and trade size paperbacks. So now do I go through all of my textbooks and decide, do I want to risk this book coming into the crosshairs of Moms for Liberty? Yes. Because all these textbook Mm -hmm. inventories, they'll now be shared with the public. And that's exactly what Governor DeSantis wants. He wants Moms for Liberty and other groups like that to scrutinize teachers like me because the consequences of violating that state law are a third degree felony. So my friends, please be aware of what's happening here in Florida. (laughs) It's come to my high school. It's come to every school in Pinellas County. It's coming to every school in the state of Florida. And when it comes to your state, be warned, because you have to understand the purpose of this is one thing, to intimidate teachers like me from actually teaching the real history of our country. Uh, Until that last couple of words there, you were so right. The point is to intimidate teachers like you to prevent you from teaching pornography and radical leftist ideology and lies, historical lies about the country. That's the point. I have three bookshelves. That's not a lot of bookshelves. I have to go through, I've got classics. The classics are going to be fine. I think you know the classics are going to be fine. Well, I've got some textbooks that might fall afoul of it. Good, get rid of them. And now I've got to answer to Moms for Liberty. Yeah, you really have to answer to the people of Florida whose representatives passed this law. Well, you're telling me that moms and voters and the civil authority are going to tell me what I can teach in the public schools? Teachers like me? Yeah, especially teachers like you, man. This issue is a winning issue, and so conservatives shouldn't squish on it. I was sorry to see there was a clip of uh, Governor Yunkin in Virginia, who won the Virginia governor's race largely on the transgender issue. Uh, Governor Yunkin was asked about transing the kids. His answer wasn't great. Governor Yunkin, your transgender model policies would require that students play on the sports teams and use the restrooms that correspond with their sex assigned at birth. Look at me. I am a transgender man. Do you really think that the girls in my high school would feel comfortable sharing a restroom with me? Put a pause there. Transgender man is not a real ontological category. So what he's saying is, I'm a woman who has been pumped full of testosterone, uh, would appear has had my breasts cut off, has gone through some kinds of mutilations. And yet you look at this person and you think, if, you were, if the person were in different clothing, and maybe you couldn't see that she's had these mutilations, would you say that could be a woman? I think so. Yeah, she has short hair. We're now saying if you have short hair, you're a man. It's amazing the kind of sexual stereotypes we revert to when we start talking about this weird gender ideology. And now imagine that she's wearing normal clothing that is more natural for a woman to wear. Or let's say she's wearing that clothing. That's, I mean, they're tomboys. If this girl walked into a girl's bathroom, would the girls all freak out? If they knew it's in a school, it's in a community, people know who people are. 
Would they freak out that a girl is in the girl's bathroom? No, I don't think so. So what's Yunkin's response? Yeah, so first of all, Nico, thank you for, again, asking the question, being here tonight and uh, engaging in this important discussion. I believe first, when parents are engaged with their children, then you can make good decisions together. And I met your dad, and I'm glad that you're both here together. That's really, really important. I also think that there are lots of students involved in this decision. And what's, what's most important is that we try very hard to accommodate students. That's why I have said many, many times, we just need extra bathrooms in schools. We need gender neutral bathrooms. And so no. we can use a bathroom that they, in fact, are comfortable Pause, with. Pause, please. Yeah, that's the problem. We just don't have enough bathrooms. That's it. That's, the, that's how we'll fix it. We need a bathroom. We need a third bathroom. We need a third sports team. We're going to have a sports team for all the transgender identifying people. It, well, except that, except that there's obviously a big difference between men who identify as women and women who identify as men in their, in their sports skills. So, okay, we're going to have two new gender transgender bathrooms, and we're going to have two new transgender sports teams. And so we're up, we're up to four bathrooms and four different kinds of sports teams. But what about all the other genders? Aren't there other genders too? Yeah. No, man. You can't. Ah, Glenn Youngkin won his race on this issue. He won his race in large part because the Daily Wire broke a story out of Loudoun County that a boy who wore skirts went into a girl's bathroom and raped a girl. And this was covered up by the superintendent of the school because of the transgender issue and the political controversy surrounding it. So what happened? They moved the kid to another school. What happened? He raped another girl. That's what, and, and parents rightly were so incensed by this, that they elected Glenn Youngkin, a Republican governor, in a deep blue commonwealth. And now Glenn Youngkin is walking away from that because he knows that Virginia is a purple commonwealth. And so he, he wants to seem like he's a moderate guy on this issue. There's no middle way on transgenderism. There's no middle ground between man and woman. Those are distinctions. Uh, certain political issues lend themselves to conciliatory middle grounds. This is not one of them. The people want clarity. So if Glenn Youngkin's new answer is quasi-transgenderism, well, why not just elect the Democrat then? A, a huge miscalculation. Glenn Youngkin thinks he's going to run for president in 2024, which is why he's, he's doing this, I think. And he's showing up in certain polls, pretty low in the polls, but still, he's a serious candidate, could be a good vice presidential candidate. And his moderation in many areas will probably help him. This is not one of them. This is a, the, the correct answer to tell this confused young woman is that boys are boys and girls are girls, and girls shouldn't have to worry about men entering the women's bathroom or entering the women's locker room and getting stripping down in, in front of them like William Leah Thomas did. And women have certain civil rights and certain private spaces and certain special privileges. And, and if we tolerate transgenderism at all, that gets stripped away. And we are not, we are not going to accept that. You've got to be clear on certain things, man. If you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit by a truck. Today, Join me on All Access at 12 p.m. Eastern for a live signing of my book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide. No, we don't have a bell for that one. But, you know, we, we've sold so many copies of Speechless. Guys, come on. Where are the producers on this? We've sold so many copies of Speechless. We've done live signings of that. But 
people will often write in and say, Michael, I've got a signed copy of Speechless, but I want, I want your magnum opus. I want your first book signed as well. There we go. Uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to be signing the books. It's available for pre-order now in my collection over at dailywire.com shop. So everyone, yes, even the hoi polloi, not only the creme de la creme inner circle, all access members can get a copy. However, only all access members are able to join the signing. So sign up for a Daily Wire Plus all-access membership now if you haven't already. Pre-order your signed copy of Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide at dailywire.com shop. And join me for the live signing at 12 noon Eastern today. Also, the Crane & Company Bracket Challenge has a $1,000 prize for this year's tournament. No purchase necessary. It is free to enter. You must be 18 years or older to participate and win. Please see our complete terms and conditions at dailywire.com. The link to sign up for the group and create a bracket is available on all Crane & Company social media accounts. Head on over now and sign up for your chance to win the $1,000. All right. We've got a very, very little bit of time left. So there are plenty of stories that I wanted to get into, but we don't exactly have time. There's, There's one story I'll mention just in passing because it's, it's going under the radar, but it, it tells you a lot about what our world is probably going to look like very, very soon. Xi Jinping, the leader of China, he was just giving a very prominent annual political address. And Xi Jinping said, we will be dedicated to peace, development, cooperation, and mutual benefits, stand firmly on the right side of history, practice true multilateralism, and uphold the shared values of humanity. Okay, good, all sort of regular platitudinous political speech. Except you see, practice true multilateralism. What does multilateralism mean? It means lots of nations have a say in how the world is run. A lot of people pay lip service to this, but what this means, especially when it's coming out of China, is we're going to challenge the current world order, which is American hegemony. America is the sole superpower on earth. We're going to challenge that. We're going to practice multilateralism. And then he says, And this is coming from the Global Times. Uh, The Global Times says, the Chinese president said that China will play an active part in the reform and development of the global governance system, contribute its share to building an open world economy, advance the implementation of the Global Development Initiative and the Global Security Initiative, add more stability and positive energy to the peaceful development of the world. This is Xi Jinping saying, we are challenging American hegemony. He's saying it in a more naked way than we have seen this before. You were seeing this backed up with actions, the spy planes flying over the country, the aggression in the South China Sea after decades of stealing U.S. intellectual property, after decades of violating World Trade Organization treaties. This is a push for a new world order. And while I think many Americans fear that, the scariest part is You've got the Biden administration cheering it on. The scariest part is Biden for decades has said a growing China, a rising China is good for everybody. And then just this week, the energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm for Joe Biden said, China's been a model on climate change policy and we're going to try to model our policy after theirs. You've got Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum saying China is the model we're trying to move toward a Chinese system. You've got the implementation of mass surveillance of social credit scores of increasing national power, overruling local power here in the United States. When China says it's going to have a lot more of a say in the global governance system, they're right. China is going to have a lot more of a say in the American governance system as well. All right, we've got a TikTok because today, of course, is Woke Wednesday. 
in this TikTok. Mr. Davies hasn't told me much about it, but he said that it's someone who's very angry at me. So we try not to do too much navel-gazing stuff on the regular part of the show, but it's the member block. We're here with the creme de la creme. We're among friends, so we'll see what these criticisms are of your favorite podcast host. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member and use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.